Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Welcome to Reflections episode 19 and part 3 of the prison tapes. This is where we wrap up uh, the whole journey through prison. Uh, last episode, I talked about how I nearly got taken out in prison. A uh, guy tried to stab me. Uh, well, he didn't try to stab me, he did stab me. He tried to kill me. Uh, but it didn't work. Alhamdulillah, qadrullahi mashafa'ala. This is what we say as Muslims, that it is the will of Allah and He do He does whatsoever He pleases. Um, we're going to wrap it up with, you know, the end of my prison journey and, and what happened uh, upon my release. And then in the next series of podcasts, we will start going through that uh, initial phases of me getting out, how I came to be, uh, the Yushevans that travels around the world, the struggles that I've seen the struggles that I've personally been through so that hopefully by by the time we reach the present and start going a little bit forward then um, a lot of people will begin to understand why I am the way that I am why I do some of the things that I do uh, why I deal with things in a certain way um, etc and also within that you know we're, we're going to talk about things in this podcast that I feel need to be addressed um, they're not always going to be going all the way back into my past but the whole point of calling it reflections was was to be able to discuss things that I am reflecting upon at any given time. Now, we left off, you know, um, with me getting moved to Tiger River, me making it to uh, work release, me deciding that wasn't for me, me getting sent back to Tiger River, and that is where I would finish out my bid, as they call it, in prison. Um, during that last year, though, during that last year, uh, something would happen that would haunt me till this day. Uh, something had happened that would completely change a lot of things about me. Um, towards that last year, you know, my my goal and my plan was to leave the South Carolina Department of Corrections, go back to Greenville, uh, help my grandmother out as I should because she was getting up in age and you know um, she she needed a lot of help so my goal uh, was to get out and and be a help to her um, and and then you know just go on and try to figure out how I was going to navigate being a Muslim after having learned you know as much about the Dean as I could uh, in in those four years how I was going to navigate becoming a part of the, the Muslim community, going back to the same community that, that I had left uh, after taking my Shahada. And, and all of that was fine and well. I was starting to get all my ducks in a row, as they say. I was a short timer. My bid was growing to an end. So I was kind of more keeping myself, keeping to myself. I did not want to get in any trouble, anything that could, you know, d uh, extend my sentence. Um, because, you know, if you got write-ups, if you got in trouble, you know, all of that stuff could add to your sentence. Because I only ended up doing three years and almost nine months out of, out of five. And you can end up doing the whole five if you don't, you know, if you don't keep your stuff together. So I was just moseying along, counting the days, you know, till I got out. I didn't even really know the exact day um, that I was going to get out. I didn't want to go and find out because, you know, I just wanted to work towards. I was going to wait until I had maybe, you know, around a couple months left. And I'd go and ask, you know, what is my exact uh, release date? <clears throat> and um, I got called to the warden's office. Um, I was called to the warden's office and, you know, I thought, you know, maybe this was has something to do with my release, you know, maybe there was some paperwork that needed to be done. Uh, you know, I had I had about maybe nine months left. Uh, so I said, you know, let me go up there and see what he has to say. I went into the warden's office. He said, you know, have a seat. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble. What did I do? Um, the last thing I need is any sort of trouble right now. He sat me down and um, he told me, to call my dad and he gave me you know my phone to call my dad um, so I called my father and when 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 my dad answered the phone he was crying and let me let me tell you brothers and sisters I had not seen my dad cry or heard him cry any time in my life um, you know I, I was raised in that very uh, machismo uh, world where men men don't cry, men don't show their feelings, uh, you know, men toughen it up, you walk it off. I mean, I could break my leg and my dad would be like, walk it off, son, walk it off, boy. Um, my dad was crying and, and I knew something was really wrong. 
and he told me, I used to call my, uh, uh, he told me, Mimi has passed away. I used to call my grandmother Mimi. Uh, I called my grandfather Papa, and I, grand- I called my grandmother Mimi. Um, and my cousins, my first cousins, uh, called her Mama E. Um, he said Mimi has passed away in her sleep. So, the person I trusted the most in this world, the person who had sheltered me from as much of the trauma of my childhood that she could absolutely, you know, protect me from, the person whom I would say I had the most love for on this planet is gone. And I'm in prison. I never got a chance to go home and show her that I had changed. I never got a chance to go home and 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 show her that I was going to keep my promise of getting out of prison and staying out of trouble. I didn't get her a chance to to show her that I could become the man that that she knew I could become. She's gone. I didn't even get to see her much for those for those four years in prison i saw her one time i saw her one time and um that one time i saw her was only a couple months before she passed away because she was not able to make i think it was like a two and a half hour drive um maybe a two hour drive to where i was at you know she just was not in 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 a condition to be able to make that drive alone and my dad wasn't was not coming to see me in prison so I didn't get a chance to see her. And I had just spoken to her a couple days before because I used to call her every Friday evening. And um, now she's she's gone. And I had to go to her funeral wearing prison uniform, which was completely khaki uniform back then. I had to go to where with SCDC written all over the back, prisoner written down the leg. All of my extended family, whom I was already considered, you know, a black sheep at this time because nobody in my family had ever been to prison. Uh, They were all, you know, military families. Um, You know, they were all decent families, well-to-do. And here I am going to my grandmother's funeral on a prison bus with prison guards, with guns, and I had to be fully shackled. I had to have handcuffs, leg cuffs, and a chain that attached between the handcuffs and the leg cuffs, uh, rattling around as I walked into the funeral home where my grandmother's funeral would take place. And everyone looking at me that there's the black sheep of the family, nobody would speak to me. Nobody even wanted to have anything to do with me at that point. And I, I, I went and, you know, said goodbye to my grandmother for the final time I would ever see her and sit through that funeral service. I didn't get a chance to go home and tell her what I had learned about the religion, get a chance to call her to Islam. You know, I thought I had enough time to get out and, and, and do that. But just like I said, when my mother passed away, in episode two of reflections you don't you don't have time if you think you have time it's 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 a trick you don't have time brothers and sisters if there is someone in your life that you want to fix your relationship with do it now do it now call them today if you've had problems with your family call them today or go and see them today and try to fix that relationship today if you have problems with your parents Parents, if you have problems with your adult children, if you have problems with your brothers and sisters, or even close friends that you've known for your whole life, you know, and things have gotten a little bit rough, I don't care what's happened. I don't care how much, you know, harm you think's had in between. I don't care what they've done. Go make it right for you. Don't even, you're not doing this for them. Go and make things right, or at least open the door to make things right for you. Because when they are gone, I promise you, I promise you, 
you will wish you had done so. You wish you had you will wish you had said more. You will wish you had been more. Because once it's gone, they're gone. And during the funeral, I remember specifically my uncle, my dad's older brother. He really despised me at this point in my life because, you know, he blamed a lot of my grandmother's decline in health um, over those four years due to me being in prison and the stress it put on her. And, and he could be right. You know, he, he could 100% be right. I know she worried about me every single day, especially after me getting, you know, stabbed and almost dying in prison. She was always constantly worried. She used to even tell me, call her every day. She didn't care how much it cost, but I, I refused to do that because I know that would be a burden on her. And, and, and she's gone. And I remember after the funeral, you know, everybody was kind of standing around and, and the guards gave me a few minutes, you know, to go and see her again after everybody left before they closed the casket and I wasn't even allowed to go to the the burial site nothing like that um and I was sitting in a corner by myself and my aunt um my father's older brother's wife uh, I had spent many years uh many summers with them they they lived at that time in Alabama uh right outside of Birmingham Alabama and I used to go spend my summers there because my first cousin Catherine was my was like my best friend growing up like was probably the person one of the people I was closest to uh overall was was my first cousin and um so I spent many summers in their home like two months at a time so I was quite close to that family um she came to me and I thought she was going to chew me out you know I thought that I was going to get blamed for my grandmother's death, which I was blaming myself already. She came to me and she said, you know, she loved you most. I think, she said, I think she loved you more than she loved her own children. Um, and she had a special place in her heart for you. Because your grandfather, my grandfather died of a, a heart attack, sudden heart attack um, in 1993. Um, and and he got out of bed and, and, and he was dead before he made it to the front door to try to go to the hospital. But as he was on the kitchen floor dying, my grandmother had told her that he told me, take care of Josh. Take care of Josh. The kids had a rough life. So do your best to take care of him. And, and she did it. She kept her word. She took care of me. She she was my mother for the majority of my life, the only mother figure that I, I knew. I loved her to death. I miss her tremendously. To this day, I randomly just dream of my grandmother or I'll, I'll see something that reminds me of her. I'll eat something that reminds me of something that she used to make. And it hurts because I didn't get to say goodbye. I didn't get to say the things that I needed to say and that I wanted to say. I, I didn't have the chance. Time is not on your side, brothers and sisters. If you have things you need to make right with someone, make it right with them. Make it right with them. So I lost my grandmother in my last year of prison. And that was the hardest thing I've had to endure in prison getting stabbed I'd rather get stabbed 10 more times than do that you know that's one of my top three I would say worst experiences in the entire history of my life beyond the loss of my mother the abuse that I suffered as a child and then and, and then my grandmother losing her like that and so my whole plan for when I got out of prison was gone um, because the house was supposed to be inherited by me. Uh, the house that, that, that she owned was supposed to be inherited by me, but it ended up getting sold off. Um, her recipe book and my grandmother, my grandmother was, was a Southern lady. She was the epitome of a homemaker and a homemaker is a prof serious profession. She could cook 
like nobody's business. Southern cooking. And she had Irish roots. My grandmother was was Irish. Um, her last name was Scherer, Ruth Scherer. Uh, her favorite dish to cook for me, and it became my favorite dish growing up, was corned beef and cabbage, which is an, which is an Irish dish. Um, and she used to make southern food, cornbread and catfish and fried chicken and collard greens and black-eyed peas and candy yams. And she was a baker. She was a, a pro-level baker. It was always something baking. My grandfather had her a brick brick oven uh, built in. She used to uh, she used to bake all the time. I would come running in. Um, I would come running in after school. And where we where we came in was right next to the kitchen, and I would come, you know, barging in. She'd be like, "Stop stomping! You're gonna, you know, make my cake fall." Uh, I remember hearing that so much as a kid. You're gonna make the cake fall. Um, and her cakes were wonderful. And she had a recipe book that she had put together uh, for for me um, to pass on down through my family. Uh, my stepmother made sure I didn't get that. I don't know what she did with it, but it's gone. Um, I had a, a very expensive collection of baseball cards. I was a baseball card collector as a kid, by the way. Uh, and, and, and some of those baseball cards right now would have been worth bukus of money. Um, she sold them all off uh, at a very low rate, low price. And, and I'm, I've even seen now how baseball cards have gone up in, in, in collectability. And I'm just like, um, but but my whole plan fell apart. I didn't I had no I had no idea what I was going to do at that point. My dad had moved to Florida um to Jacksonville and and was living with a roommate and and I I didn't I wasn't I had no I, no intention of going there. So I I started looking around. You know, I started looking to go um live in Fairfax, Virginia, possibly because I wanted to attend the Mahad that was there at the time. There was a a, a branch of the Islamic University in Medina, um, in in uh, Falls Church, Virginia, the Fairfax area. I was gonna go move up there, maybe try to find a roommate with somebody else going to the Mahad, um, take a bus there for when I got out of prison, or, or you know um, maybe go to Columbia, South Carolina, where Sheikh Mohammed Said Adli at his Masjid al-Muslimin in Columbia, South Carolina, had like a halfway home for people who got out of prison where they could stay there until they got off got off their, you know, got on their feet again. I just, I had, I had no idea. And, and I, that plan, you know, I'd planned to take that bus, uh, one of the two places and, and I had no money, nothing. Uh, I didn't even have enough money for the bus trip. And actually, you know, mashallah, uh, brother Qawi Linux, he actually, uh, sent me enough money, uh, through his family. He made sure I had enough money, uh, when I, when I was going to get out. To, to catch a bus, a Greyhound, wherever it is that I needed to go. Uh, may Allah bless that brother. And um, so I had no plan. I, 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 I had a few plans, but I had no idea what I was going to do when I get out. Because when, when you get out, they just, just let you out. And then after that, you're on your own. Um, so, you know, I'm scrambling trying to figure out what I'm going to do. I got a few more months left. And um, finally, my dad actually wrote to me and said don't worry you know where you got to go come here uh like a month before i got out my dad said come to florida he moved into his own place um he said you know move to florida uh, and, and and stay with me it'll help you to get away get you away from you know all of the bad influences you have in greenville and in south carolina he's like i'm gonna come get you when you get out uh so you know um come stay with me so i'm like you know alhamdulillah that's that's my father um I'll go stay with him until I can figure out what at least what I'm going to do because at least I'll have a roof over my head because I had to have a place to go because I was going to be on probation um, and, and probation needed an address or somewhere to locate me when I left. And, and if I was going to go out of state, they had to do a transference like you had to transfer. They had to transfer my probation to that state where they could assign a probation officer to me in that state. So that had to be all done beforehand. So my dad, you know, said, sort it out, get your probation transferred to Florida and, and, and that, and, and it'll all be good. So, um, about a week before I was about to be released, you know, I, I knew what my date was then I was counting down the days from like 30 days and about a week, the, the warden called me again 
And he said, you're, you're not going to be released from here. Um, and I'm like, why not? What happened? He said, um, because Greenville, the city of Greenville still has an active warrant out for you um, <laughs> for something that you need to deal with. And it was um, some some very old traffic tickets that had turned into warrants because I, I didn't show up for court. And the reason I didn't show up for court was simply because I was in prison. But it's a, prison is a broken system. It's a broken system. So so I said, what then? He said, well, Greenville, um, Greenville, the city of Greenville is going to come and pick you up. They'll have a police officer come and pick you up and they're going to take you to the county jail. And you have to remain in the county jail until you go in front of a judge to see about the dismissal of these warrants. So probably give you time served, but you have to wait and go in front of a judge. And that could take days, weeks, months. We don't know. So here I am, you know, a week from getting out and I'm being told that you're not getting out. You know, it's just like, (laughs) can this hole get any deeper? So I told my dad that and he said, you know, don't worry. I'm still coming to Greenville. So they the day the day I got released from Tiger River Correctional Facility, they put me in another police car and took me to Greenville and put me back into the same county jail that I was in before I went to prison. And it's like I'm back at step 1 now because I don't I don't know when I'm going to go to court. I don't know, you know, how long it's going to take because it could take literally because it was turned into a warrant, therefore it was a felony. It could it could be months, you know. What I mean, before I go to go to court, so I, I don't know what to do. My dad, little did I know, my dad had actually driven up to Greenville, um, and my dad was very close with some people in 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 in, in law enforcement. Um, uh, my dad was a, you know, was a Mason. He had gone to the Mason Lodge for many, many years. My grandfather was a master Mason. Like, it's just the kind of family I grew up in. My dad went to, he found out where my warrant, who issued my warrant, the county judge, because where I live is very small. Taylor's, South Carolina, which is a suburb of Greenville. It's very small. Everybody kind of knows everybody. So he actually went to the courthouse uh, with a friend of his who used to be a state trooper, and he knew the judge. They went and spoke to the judge, and my dad explained what had happened. You know, like my son's been through all of this. He's paid his debt to society. He's done what he needed to do. He never got in trouble. Um, what can you do for me? And she said, "This is, this is, this is wrong. This this shouldn't happen like this." So she actually got on the phone and called uh, um, the jail and said, "Let that young man go." immediately that warrant has been discharged i've discharged i let him go so i'm sitting here freaking out in jail you know in county i didn't know who to call because you can't call cell phones back then like i had nobody to call i didn't know what was going on i had the co's in county jail don't give a damn what your what your problem is you don't even see them but maybe like once every hour or two hours as they walk around because we were in our little our little cell block uh overpacked and I'm freaking out, and then a, a CO comes and says, you know, Joshua Evans, uh, get your stuff, you're going home. And I'm like, how? He's like, the charges have been dropped. So, you know, I, I was like, what? So I got out, <laughs> they gave me all my stuff, uh, which, let me tell you what my stuff consisted of. I'll tell you that in a moment. They gave me, gave me all my stuff and let me out the front door. And when I walked out the front door, there was my dad. Um, my dad was uh, standing out front, and, and he picked me up. Now, me and my dad's relationship is a bit, uh, growing up, it was a bit, it was a bit tumultuous, to say the least, and, and, and we've worked on it over the years, but I'll just, that's another episode, we'll leave that for another time, but uh, we stayed in Greenville that night, so we went to a friend of his house and slept there overnight to, go, to leave to go to Jacksonville the next morning in Florida, and, and as soon as I got out, there was another brother who I had met in, in prison, um, who wasn't in prison with me, but he used to come as a volunteer for Eid and bring us food and stuff like that. His name was Qadir, uh, uh, mashallah, Qadir, beautiful brother, another African American brother, beautiful brother. I love him to this day. We've we've talked to each other on and off through the years. I've seen him many times. Um, I called Qadir and told him I'd gotten out because he told me he's like, "Dude, call me as soon as you get out." So I called Qadir and said, "I'm in Greenville, but I'm leaving for Jacksonville tomorrow. But is there any way you can come pick me up and take me to the masjid?" 
uh, I wanted to go back to the masjid where I took my shahada. You know, I wanted it to, to, I wanted my time in Greenville to end where it started. Uh, is for me as far as my new life. So Qadir came and picked me up. I think it was around Maghrib time. We went to the masjid. I prayed masjid. I prayed Salatul Maghrib in the masjid. But you have to understand now it was completely different because when I first took my shahada and first was going to the masjid, I was a new, brand new Muslim. I didn't. I knew nothing about my religion. But now, you know, after spending four years tucked away in books and tapes and scholars and this and that, you know, like now I understood the importance of what what was happening right now. You know, I was I was overwhelmed, you know, and, and the second place uh, I, I told him, I said, I want you to take me and you can say what you want about this. You know, you shouldn't have done this. I went to I said, take me to my grandmother's grave uh, where my grandmother and grandfather buried next to each other. And I went there and I, I, I said my goodbyes. You know, I, I know people can't hear in the akhirah, but man was in pain. You know, and I told her, you know, I'm, I'm going to do what I told you I was going to do. I'm going to keep my word um, and I'm going to do the right thing this time in, in prison. Unless it's for some good reason, prison will not, will not catch me again. Um, so I said my goodbyes. And um, I remember speaking to Brother Mutahir before getting out as well. And I told Mutahir, I said, uh, and, 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 and if he ever watches this, he can confirm it. You can drop it right down here in the comments, my brother. I told Mutahir, Mutahir, I'm going to get out and I'm going to do something good with my life. I'm going to do something good with my deen. I'm going to try to help other people. Um, I'm going to try to let as many people as I can know about this religion that I had to seek out. I'm going to make sure that nobody else has to seek the religion the way I sought it. Uh, I had to look for it and had to f try to find it in every nook and cranny. I'm going to get out there and do something positive with this second chance of life that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given me. I'm going to make good on that debt to the best of my abilities. I told him that in prison. And I'm sure he's heard that a lot. Mutahir, I'm sure you've heard that a lot. I'm sure a lot of people have told you that. And it went somewhat different. But I'm hoping, you know, 20, 20 years later, um, I'm still trying to do that. I'm still trying to keep my word. I'm still trying to fulfill my oath and fulfill my promises to Allah, to you, to my grandmother, the people I made them to. Kawi, my roommate, uh, you know, I, I told him I'm going to do something with this. Um, and, and I said my goodbyes and, and I went to Florida. I moved to Florida the next day. The very next day I moved to Florida and started a brand new life. It was strange. It was strange because going into prison, you might as well say I was I was not I, I was a Muslim, but I was not Muslim Muslim yet. I was not practicing the religion. So going into prison, not really, you know, understanding religion, then coming out as a Muslim and understanding my deen a whole hell of a lot better than I understood it when I went in. The world was just a completely different place. Also, this was Right after, this was a year, almost a year to the day after 9-11. After 9-11. I saw 9-11 happen inside prison. I remember I was at that work release camp, as a matter of fact. And that's one of the other reasons I decided I need to go back to a uh, regular prison because I'm the only Muslim here. Something bad's going to happen to me. Because I remember coming back from work because uh, you had to go out and work and we went out and you know dug ditches and all kinds of weird stuff um, and coming back and seeing it on TV you know the towers coming down and then right next to it the picture of uh, Osama bin Laden and you know um, I was I was like uh oh this is this cannot be good for Muslims I remember they called me they even called me to the the, the warden's office that day because they they knew who I was coming forward and you know and said I hope we don't have no problems with you if you have any problems come and tell us my problem was fixed. I said, send me back to Tiger River where I can be around other Muslims. But I got out into a completely different world. The post 9-11 world was starkly different than the pre-9-11 one that I went into. Being a Muslim uh, was an automatic red flag. It was an automatic red flag. And, and for a lot of my extended family, you know, the fact that I was a Muslim didn't, it didn't help, bro. It didn't help the fact that I was already the black sheep of the family. I had been to prison, you know, I'd beat this guy up. I'd done these other things. And now the guy's a Muslim. You know, it's like it, it, the hits just kept on coming. Uh, so needless to say, I had a very distant relationship with my extended family 
till now. Most of them have passed away. Uh, my great-grandmother was still alive when I got out of prison. I spoke to her until she passed away. That's my mother's mother's... My mother's mother's mother. There you go. My mother's mother's mother. And um, in an upcoming episode, I'll explain to you why I understand what my mother went through and how I was able to get over uh, some of what happened when she abandoned me, things of that nature. Because uh, I would come to find on later in, in, in my life the exact reason why I never knew my grandmother, my mother's mother. I never knew her. She was murdered. Um, and she was murdered by somebody you would never expect. And my mother was 16 years old when she lost her mother being murdered by somebody very close to her. Um, and, and I'm sure that broke her. Um, a lot and so I was able to understand that but we'll, I'll, I'll dig into that into a later episode inshallah I told you this there's, there's a lot to unpack there's a lot to unpack um, so the world I got out you know was quite different my great grandmother was alive I used to speak to her my brother I have a brother um, uh, me and my brother's relationship has been on and off I honestly don't know where he is right now I wish I did um, he he has gotten into a string of trouble as well been in and out of jail in and out of prison um, he grew up in, in a very, very weird life as well. I'm not ready to tackle that one yet. We'll discuss my brother at some point later on. Um, if he ever sees this, Chris, um, I love you. I love you. And I'm always like I've told you a million times, bro. I'm here for you. If you need me, I'm here for you. You know, but I am who I am. And, and I am who I am because of my religion. It's always going to be front and center. And I've told you this a million times. Uh, Islam can save you. Islam can help you. You just got to let it go. You just got to let go of all that other stuff and just submit to it. And I would help you in any way possible. Like I've always said, I'm right here. My number has not changed since you've known it. So reach out to me. Uh, my sister um, is, is still alive. Uh, I have two nephews with her and, and we talk, you know, often. And not as often as we should. And I'm probably, there's something I do regret. Uh, but my, my sister knows I love her to death. And she knows that I'm front and center as a Muslim. And I, I wish my whole family would become a Muslim. It's a beautiful way of life. It's a beautiful thing. My father, I'm still giving him da'wah to this day. Uh, may Allah guide him. You know, he's been through a lot as well in his life. Um, he's also had a number of strokes. His health is is is, is very bad right now. And um, I wish I could get him to here in Minnesota with me. The, the cold, he can't really take it. With He's got, you know, really bad joints and he has trouble walking. And the sub-zero temperatures and he can't go up and down stairs. And where I live, we actually have three floors. And it would be very difficult for him to go up and down. But... Um, I love him to death, but I, you know, I got out of prison and what I had, the possessions, right? I talked about that earlier, what I was left with, because when my grandmother died, it was all gone. Everything I owned was done away with. When I left prison, I had the clothes on my back, which were some khaki uh, pants, khaki pants, um, a white t-shirt and a blue button up, you know, prison issued um, shirt and I had a bag of books and I had $90 that Kawi had um, sent to me that's it that's all I had at the age of 22 got out of prison nothing clothes on my back a bag of my books which was a big heavy bag of books and $90 that's what I had it was rock bottom but I was free you have to understand, I didn't care about none of that. I was free. I had one of the most valuable possessions that was taken away from me for four years was my freedom. I had that. Not only now was my heart free, my mind free, my soul free because of my deen, but my body was now free. And my future 100% depended upon the decisions I would make going forward. And I made some good ones and I made some very bad ones. Uh, that's part of what happens when you had to learn to raise yourself. You know, um, I love my dad to death, but, you know, I, I did not have a lot of guidance. My grandfather died when I was nine, 13, um, and he was he would have been somebody that would have been that solid rock to help teach me how to be a man and, and, and do the right things and make the right decisions. But I basically had to learn all of this on my own. Some of my most pivotal developmental years of 18 to 22 were spent in prison uh, in survival mode and then when I got out I had nothing and I had to go immediately into a survival mode and and I I had no one really teaching me you know my my dad was around he was there 
you know, but me and my dad's relationship has always been a little bit of a friction. And, um, you know, my dad's had his bouts with alcoholism and, and he was full fledged into it at that moment. I've talked about this before. My mother became an alcoholic. Um, she got off of alcohol, you know, shortly before her death, but cancer took her anyway. Uh, my father, you know, he's struggled with alcoholism his entire life. It is a serious uh, disease and addiction and mental illness. Um, so, you know, my dad wasn't really uh, you know, giving me, you know, guidance and sound advice. I, I had to just figure it out on my own. I had to figure it out on my own. And I had a week to find a job uh, or else I would be in violation of pro my probation. I had to show up within seven days to my probation officer with a job um, or I could have be in violation of my probation and be sent back to prison. And and for a guy who's 22 years old, has has zero work experience before this, uh, finding a job, this is a bit of a difficulty. Um, so the only job I was able to find at the time to keep myself out of prison, and I found it like on the sixth day before, or the day before I had a deadline to go and turn in, was I found a job at Crystal's. Um, Crystal's <clears throat> is a fast food restaurant. Uh, they're called, they, 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 they make little mini mini burgers. Uh, they call it White Castle. There's White Castles here in the, in the, in the Midwest. And I think in the Northeast it's called White Castle. In, in Florida, it's called, it, it's similar, but it's called Crystals. Um, and, and I, the only shift they had open was third shift, was third shift. So I would go into work at, uh, around 10, 30, 11 o'clock and I would not get out till seven. So I found that job and I did what I had to do. I was flipping burgers at Crystal's. And I remember that um, I, I would pray Isha before I went to work and I would have to pray Fajr um, before I left work. And the only place there was to pray, they wouldn't let me pray in the restaurant, uh, was outside uh, next to the dumpsters. Uh, there was a clean little area in the grass right next to the dumpsters. And, and that's where I used to pray my Salat al-Fajr. And so I was working third shift, graveyard shift, and then in the day, you know, um, trying to find a way to put my life back together. <sighs> the first Friday, I went to Juma. Uh, there was a very small masjid because I actually wasn't living in Jacksonville proper. I was living in a city called St. Augustine. And St. Augustine is the oldest city uh, in the United States of America as far as founded cities. Um, it was um, a very small city. It's actually a beautiful city. If you ever have the chance in, in America to go to St. Augustine, Florida, uh, do so. It's a beautiful city. So, but there was, And there was a very small masjid. It's a very, 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 very small masjid. I went there as a very close community. I showed up on the first Friday. I didn't really know. I introduced myself and, you know, I, I didn't tell anybody, yo, I'm just fresh out of prison. I'm here. I just said, look, I just moved to Jacksonville. Uh, I met the imam. His name was Yusuf Filet. Uh, beautiful, beautiful brother from Philistine, mashaAllah. I remember if you big, long, uh, gray beard. Allahumma barik, may Allah bless him. He owned a pizza shop called Tony's Pizza uh, on Crescent Beach, uh, which was literally right on the beach. There's a when you leave St. Augustine, going towards Daytona, there's like a little strip, uh, a little island strip, and that's called Crescent Beach. And he had a pizza shop out there called Tony's Pizza, and it's some of the best pizza I have ever had in my entire life. Uh, New York, Tony's New York style pizza on Crescent Beach. If you ever have the chance to go to St. Augustine, go to Crescent Beach, go to Tony's New York style pizza on Crescent Beach and tell Yusuf Filat that Yusha said, Salaam Alaikum. Um, I went out there and had pizza many times and it is the most delicious pizza I've ever had. And I lived in New York for a little bit. I'm telling you, man, this pizza is next level. After about a couple of weeks working at Crystal's, flipping burgers on third shift, I, uh, and, and we'll wrap this one up and bring it to a close, I um, was able to get a job. My dad found a friend of his who had a job in, uh, knew, knew of a job in construction, one of the toughest fields to be in for manual labor, and it was house construction. And so I took the job because it paid more, and I would actually have normal human being hours i would work monday through friday uh you know like 7 a.m to 4 p.m but the job consisted of carrying cinder blocks because in florida a lot of houses are framed 
with cinder blocks. They have to be because of code, because just pine wood um, framing will just get torn up in a hurricane in, in Florida. So it, with cinder blocks, you know, big, heavy concrete blocks. And my job every day was to carry these blocks because there would be a big pile of them and boom, you have to set them in certain places where they could mason them up. So my job, boom, all day long carrying these heavy, heavy center blocks. My hands were shredded from picking up these cement blocks. They were heavy. I actually ended up with carpal tunnel, you know, within the first three days. I would, I woke up in the middle of the night, my hands would be on fire, fire. I would actually have to go stick my hands in the ice bin in the freezer, you know, just because they felt like they were on fire. And, um, Carpal tunnel plagued me until until this day. I actually have had carpal tunnel surgery um, to to remedy that. And the first Friday came about working this construction job, and I had to go to Jumara. And I told the boss, you know, during the week that I was going to need to get off take a little bit a long lunch on Friday and he was just like yeah well, speak to us on Friday so on Friday morning I told the boss that I uh, need to take a long lunch break today I will stay longer if you need me to you know but during, uh, it's Friday I'm a Muslim and we have to go pray on Fridays and it's not it's not um, it's not uh, what is it? voluntary you have to go. I have to go. Allah Jalla says in the Quran in Surah Jum'ah, when the call for Jum'ah is made, leave off all business and trade and go to the remembrance of Allah. That's a command. So I have to go to Jum'ah on Friday. And he told me that I don't care what your religion is, you don't bring it here to the workplace. He said, you go off and you go and pray, you know, and do your thing and nobody, I don't care about that, but you can't leave the work site. I was like, you guys leave and and, and go to like, chili sometimes or whatever and i sit here and eat my lunch by myself and you guys are gone like an hour and a half sometimes all i'm doing is asking for 45 minutes because the masjid was not too far away to go to juma and come back he said not going to juma if you leave the work site you're fired <laughs> so here i am <sighs> i have to think now because if i get fired that gets reported to my probation officer and if there's not a good reason for me being fired, I could be in violation of my probation because my I, I had to hold down a job. And probation also told me if you lose a job, you have 48 hours to have secured another one or you're in violation. My probation officer was hell in Florida. 40, 48 hours to have another one or I will write you up uh, and recommend that you have your probation revoked. And if my probation was revoked, I had to go finish those two years off back in prison in South Carolina. So I'm, I'm in a conundrum here. I'm like, you know, if I walk off with this job, I could end up back in prison. But if I don't walk out of this, off of this job, I'd be disobeying my Rabb. And at that point, I told you, like I said, you know, I, I, I gained such a connection to my creator. Islam was so black and white to me at this time. I still had the zeal of a new Muslim because now I'm a new Muslim outside of prison. You know, I, after four years of being a Muslim in prison, you don't feel like a new Muslim anymore. But then when you go home, it's a whole different world. So I felt like a new Muslim all over again. I had that zeal and that, that desire to, to practice my deen. Uh, so I, I said, you know what? You got to fire me. And I said, I said to myself, I made a silent dua. Ya Allah, I'm going to leave this job for your sake. I'm going to do what you commanded me to do. But I'm going to need some help here. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to figure it out. But I'm going to figure it out. So I left and I went to Jum'ah. Because that's what Allah commanded me to do. And I met Juma, and even during the khutbah, I'm sitting here thinking like, you know, what in the world am I going to do now? After Juma, uh, the imam sent his son, his son uh, Jeremy, um, mashallah Jamal. He came to me and he said, you know, uh, he was, we, we were near the same age. He said, um, Salaam alaikum, bro. He's a, uh, you, you knew, right? You, you, you just moved here. And yeah, I'm like, yeah, he's like, introduced himself. He's like, um, where are you working right now? And I said, uh, actually, I was working construction, but I just lost that job today. I got fired for coming here, uh, as a matter of fact. He's like, 
bro, don't worry, we got you. My dad just sent me over to ask you if you had a job because we need someone. We need someone um, at our pizza shop. It's getting very busy. It's gotten busy, busier than it's ever been. So we need someone at our pizza shop, you know, to help um, make pizzas, uh, to help not make pizzas. Yusuf did that all on his own, but to help, you know, make salads and, and there's other dishes that you made. We need help with that. Do you know how to cook? I said, I grew up knowing how to cook. My grandmother taught me how to cook uh, from a very young age. He's like, uh, you know, uh, so you can do that and, and we need a delivery driver because um, they delivered right in their little media area. I said, I'll take it. He said, can you start today? I said, dude, you can take me there after Juma. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I have, I have nowhere else to go. Let's go to work right now. And so Yusuf, may Allah bless him and grant him the best of this life and the next. He actually used to own a pizza shop in Philistine as well um, until the whole uh, uh, first intifada happened and he ended up leaving with his family, etc. It's a long story. I'm going to say that one for another day and try to get him on and let him talk about it. But um, he hired me on the spot that day and ended up paying me double what I was making in construction. So I got hired that that afternoon at Juma. I got hired making double what I was making before. So I did not violate my probation and I ended up making double. And I ended up being able to, within the first few weeks, rent my own very small apartment. I had a very tiny apartment on, on uh, St. Augustine Island near downtown um, and was able to, to start my life around, around Muslims every day. I woke up every morning, Jeremy would come and pick me up and take me to his dad's pizza shop and I spent all day long around a very beautiful imam of the community, a very beautiful da'i who introduced me uh, to the da'wah, who introduced me um, to uh, Sheikh uh, Zakiuddin Sharfi who ended up encouraging me to the da'wah like it, it things fell in place and I'll talk about them that's what we'll talk about next week but um, things fell into such a beautiful place that it, it it was just hard to wrap my head around that it is true that if you leave something for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if you leave something for the sake of Allah Allah will replace it with that which is better Allah will replace it with that which is better but that takes that blind tawakkul in Allah, that kind of unbound trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He's going to do what He says He's going to do if you just do what you're supposed to do. And and that became, you know, the beginning of the whole trajectory of me being right here. You know, I was just thinking about that before doing before starting the podcast of how it all happened, how I got to where I am right now. It started realistically, if you want to trace it all the way back to like you know, it's it's most finite point. It started that day with me leaving that job to go to Jummah, to be obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his commands to go to Jummah. And and it's like, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, and, and this is easier said than done. Wallah, yeah, I know it's easier than it's easier said than done. But when you leave something for Allah's sake, when you leave something for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah will replace it with that which is better. When you make hijrah for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like I did from South Carolina to Florida to, to try to start my life all over again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will facilitate a means and a ways for you. Allah tells us that whoever fears Allah, whoever has taqwa and tries to you know, have that consciousness and that piety of Allah, and taqwa is a barrier to place a barrier between yourself and the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, يَجْعَلُهُ makhraja. He will provide for him a way out. He will make for them a way out and will provide from them for places they did not know. Will provide for them from places from which they did not know. You know, I became best friends at that time with, with Yusuf's son. We still chat back and forth to this day. Uh, if I'm ever back in Florida, the first place I always go. If I'm back in the St. Augustine area, I go to Yusuf's pizza shop and say, Salaamu Alaikum to him. I've taken my family many times. Um, because I love that brother more than he'll ever know. More than he'll ever know. I've made dua for that brother more than he'll ever know. It's the little things that you look back on later on in life that you don't realize had such a, an impact on you. Uh, so, you know, sometimes you just have to ride those waves. You know, life comes at you in waves. And, and sometimes those waves are good waves. Sometimes they're bad waves. You just got to ride them. Just got to ride them out. So my life started all over again. I walked out of prison with nothing but the clothes on my back and a bag of books and within a short span of time Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed me to have a home of my own he allowed me to have a, a good job around 
some of the best Muslims I've ever known. A place because also Yusuf's Pizza Shop was the Muslims, all the Muslims of the St. Augustine in Jacksonville area when they came to St. Augustine. Everybody came to Yusuf's Pizza Shop. So it was Muslims coming in and out all the time. If if guests came from out of town, they came to Yusuf's Pizza Shop. You know, in, as soon as you walked in his shop, there's a big picture of the Kaaba and, and a Quran uh, shelf. Take a Quran, please. And, and Dawah uh, flyers. And it just, it, it was... It instilled in me what I am today. It instilled in me that idea that you can be successful at life, you can be professional at life, you can you can have the balance of deen and dunya if you know what you're doing. You can have that balance. And it was just so amazing having that connection to to the Imam Yusuf uh, was such a beautiful thing. I would end up becoming the temporary, a very short-lived, because I ended up leaving Jacksonville, um, or ended up leaving St. Augustine and moving to Jacksonville. Um, when I got married, but um, I ended up becoming the Suedo Imam there for a while. Uh, Yusuf had some things he had to do. He stepped down for a little while. He had to go back to Palestine for a few. I ended up becoming like the quote-unquote Imam of that small masjid for just a little while. They actually wanted to hire me as the full-time Imam and give you know wanted to build me a, a house at the back of the masjid. They had a big property in the back, and I turned that down because it just it, it, that was too much pressure on me. I, I had I had PTSD. From being the imam, bro. Even to this day, when people are like, you know, I'm not qualified. Don't ever call me asking me about being an imam. I'm not qualified. But even if I was qualified, I got PTSD. Last time I was an imam of anything, I got stabbed because of it. So forgive me if I'm a little gun shy uh, about being an imam. And it's not something I ever want anyway. It's a huge responsibility, huge burden for people who are qualified, and I'm not qualified. But that that is that is that is how my 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 life in prison wrapped up. I ended up losing my grandmother was it, it broke me it broke me it broke me to this day like that's unresolved there's never going to be a resolution to that I, ca I can't resolve that matter my grandmother died before i got out of prison my grandmother died before i could show her what i would become my grandmother died before i could you know get married and have grandchildren and let her see her grandchildren that breaks my heart because you know i look at my my kids today and 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 man if if they had my grandmother as their great-grandmother they would be spoiled beyond belief. My mother, if she was still alive today, my children would be spoiled even worse than they already are. I spoiled them doubly, I think, because I'm, and I try to, you know, tell this to my wife sometimes, I'm making up for what they don't have. You know, my, my mom would have spoiled them ridiculously. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to do it for her. Uh, I don't, I don't get away with it all the time, but kids know they're spoiled. Um, I didn't get a chance to show them that's unresolved. So that always is a, is a, is a dark spot inside of me that, that will see no resolution. And I just have to live with that. Um, you know, I got out of prison. I had nothing. I, well, at first I didn't know, I didn't think I was getting out of prison. They put me back in county jail. And I, I thought I'm starting this whole process all over again. Uh, bloody hell. And then I ended up getting out, going to Florida, getting a job at Crystal's, working third shift, flipping burgers. They were little burgers, by the way. They were like... Crystal's burgers are like about that big. Um, and then get a job in construction that caused me to end up having uh, carpal tunnel and, and ended up hurt, injuring me probably till this day. And leaving that walking out for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and getting the job with Yusuf at the pizza shop in, in St. August in Crescent Beach that would propel and begin this whole thing. I met the person who introduced me to da'wah as as like an idea and a concept, as a construct, and trained me uh, of how to have the concern for da'wah and things of that nature and what it was all about um, through through um, Yusuf's Pizza Shop. And we'll talk about that next week, inshallah. Uh, and, it, and it's just like the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala plotted things out, you can't you can't understand the plan of Allah. You're not meant to. And I say this in many talks I've done, you know, about the plan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that you're not meant to understand it. You're just meant to trust it because it's perfect. The plan of Allah for your life is perfect whether you believe it or not. Whether you see it or not right now, you have to have that faith that it's perfect. And when you get a little bit older and you get, you know, into your 40s, into your 50s, into your 60s, you'll look back. Go talk to old people. Go talk to your elders. Go talk to your uncles. Go talk to your aunties. Go talk to your grandparents, your great-grandparents if they're alive. Uh, the elders in your community, you know, about the plan of Allah and how their life is panned out and 
they'll all almost always say the same thing that I did not know what was happening at the time. But now that I look back on it, that plan was absolutely perfect and beautiful. And I thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for every hardship, every trial, every tribulation, every difficulty. I praise Him for the good times that allowed me to see what goodness can be like and the bad times that, that built character, that built uh, resolve, that built strength. You know, to where now when I see storms coming and, and I have storms in my life as right now, right now, there are things that I'm going through in my life that I absolutely feel like they're killing me. Uh, not talking about that right now because we're way back in the back in the past. But now I look at those storms and I like I've seen storms worse than you. I've seen hardship worse than you. I've seen difficulty worse than you. I got through that. I can get through this inshallah. There are times where I feel like it's too much. It's too much. And I'm recording this on Nash, uh, on Global Mental Health Awareness Day. Sometimes it's too much. But I know that I can get through it because I've already gotten through worse. And I thank Allah for that skill and that ability to now be able to help others who are in need, to help others who are suffering, to help others who are going through trauma and difficulty. Uh, because I've been there, done that, and I've got the t-shirt. So I can try to give you some advice. And sometimes that advice is based on me doing the wrong thing. It's not like I've figured it out every time. No, as this goes on, you're going to realize, bro, Yusha made lots of mistakes. And I'm paying for some of those mistakes till this day. Literally paying for some of those mistakes till this day, which we'll talk about later on. Not ready for that yet. But sometimes my life lesson is I know what to do in those situations because I did it the wrong way. And I know the opposite of that is the right way. And I've learned that as well. So sometimes my life experience is from failing, from failing. Um, I think it was Michael Jordan. By the way, I grew up as a huge Michael Jordan fan in the in 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 the the late eighties, early nineties. Huge Michael Jordan fan. I, I was a Michael Jordan fan. I used to get the new Jordans that came out every year. Um, there was there wasn't like now where there's like 30, 30 40 released uh, in a year. There was like a couple that was released every single year, um, and I always got those released that was always my gift if anybody wanted to get me anything for my birthday get me some jordans if you want to or just everybody give me a bunch of money so i can buy jordans uh christmas the whole nine yards i wanted jordans um and i think jordan you know is uh, one of those people uh, i think he said that the reason he was so successful he's like i've missed he knew all the stats of how many shots he'd missed uh you know how many uh points he didn't make how many clutch shots he didn't he's like because of all those misses I was able to get where I am. If it wasn't for those failures and learning from those failures, I wouldn't be where I am today. So, you know, it's it's because of doing things wrong. And that's not the way you should do it. That's not the best way to do it is to learn the right way by making the wrong, by learn the right thing by doing the wrong thing so many times. It's not really the way you want to do it. But that is the process that I've gone along. So I'm hoping I can help some others who are in that same position that I was to, to be able to do things without having to learn the hard way. That's it, to help others. That's my absolute mission in life now is to be helpful because a lot of people need help and there's not a lot of help out there to service these things. So that's it. That's the prison tapes. It's a part of my life that was very difficult and I've never even spoken about it until now, publicly. But it's time. It's past time, but it, it feels like it was right now to help those who might be suffering. And... If you are able to be involved in helping prison initiatives where you live, help prison initiatives. There are a lot of good Muslims behind prison bars who can come home and be very good Muslims if they have a little help. If they have a little help. A lot of Muslims leave prison and end up back into the same cycle because they don't have help. They don't have resources. That's our job, to help them. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help all those brothers and sisters behind prison bars who just want to make it, who just want to come out and, and, and be a good Muslim and, and be a good person and uh, be a contributing citizen in society. And may Allah bless all of you going through difficulties and, and hardships and ease. Let me tell you, from one broken soul to another, you can make it. You can get there. It takes a little work. It takes a little dedication. It takes some dark days. It takes some rough nights. It takes some sleepless nights. It's going to take some crying. It's going to take some pain. But you can get there. And my goal is to make sure that we provide adequate resources to help you do that in the best way that we can. 
And as always, I love you all for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for watching this. I love you all. Because you don't have to. You could be doing something much better with your time. But the fact that you've given a bit of your time to come and sit and listen to this, I can't thank you enough. And if you want to support what I'm trying to do over here, if you want to support the initiative that we're trying to take to be helpful, to help with mental health, to help with our youth, to give the youth a platform where they can be themselves and, and practice their deen and, and be a part of the real world and all of the things that we're doing, you can hit the link right there below uh, and contribute um, to the channel and do what we're trying to do. You can hit that subscribe button. It helps. You can become a member. You can become a paid member for $4.99 a month at the lowest tier and help us con to continue to produce high quality content um, to help those who need help, uh, whether it be Muslim, non-Muslim, whatever, we're just trying to help where, where I can help, where I see needs help and where I think I can help. Uh, you can also hit the donation link right there in below viewshevens.live and you can support what we're trying to do. Or you can just reach out to me at youshevensmedia at gmail.com, youshevensmedia at gmail.com. It'll be right here in the description. Uh, things that you want to see discussed, again, drop them in the comments. Let me know what you think. Let me know if this has been helpful or if it's not been helpful. And we have some new projects in the pipeline that I'm looking forward to releasing very soon. But again, the support of the community is 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 greatly appreciated and needed for projects because we want to do things right. We want to do things top tier. Um, I don't like doing things halfway. I like to do things the most professional level I can do it with ihsan uh, top tier production top tier level I think we've increased a lot from episode if you go back and watch Reflections episode 1 to this one we've learned a lot along the way and we're trying to put that to use I love you all I'm making dua for all of you uh, make dua for me and my family as well and we'll see you on the next one Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh